0: Good morning, church. Our risen Savior has blessed us in so many, so many ways. And as we attempt to step aside and think about all of the blessings that God has granted to us, we almost might as well stop (laughs) because you can't. And that's just how rich the blessings and the love of God is so rich and so powerful and so plentiful that we cannot count the number of blessings that he has granted unto us. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't try. And what it does mean is perhaps we ought to do it more often so that we can thank him more often for the things that he's done for us. Let's go to God in prayer, please. Masterful and wonderful, great and awesome God, hallowed be your great and amazing name. We are so thankful to you for all that you've done. Thank you, Lord God, for every moment of our lives, for every second of our lives, for the goodness that you have displayed and demonstrated in your Son. as Jesus came and so willingly died and suffered on that cruel cross of Calvary that we may live. For your masterful and merciful plan was designed for each and every one of us. And we thank you. We thank you, Lord God, for allowing us to have a hope a heavenly hope that takes us far beyond this land in which we dwell, knowing that every day there are ups and downs in this land. Lord God, it is You who brings us through each and every one of them. Thank you so very much for Your kindness. Thank you for Your patience. Thank you for Your love. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we pray and thank You if it be Thy will. Amen. Revelation, please, chapter three. After listening to Brother James opening, I thought maybe he ought to just finish his sermon. <laughs> it's, it's interesting, uh, Brother James spoke of, uh, be gone Satan or Satan get out of, get out of my face. Well, uh, the church of Philadelphia understood that concept very well. They're the youngest of seven cities, we're talking about the church of the open door, uh, this morning. The king of Pergamum, Eumenes, The second built a city, and he named it after or as a memorial for the love that he had for his brother. Hence, Philadelphia brotherly uh, love. The original purpose of the city being built was very deliberate. It was built as a missionary city. When we think of missionary, we're thinking about going out and preaching the gospel. Well, that's not what they had in mind. But their missionary city was designed with a purpose to... Uh, if you will, to instill the Greek language, uh, spread it throughout the world, to spread uh, Greek culture and civilization throughout the world. And they, they placed in this city, Philadelphia, so many gods that Philadelphia, the city, carried the nickname Little Athens. You know. They boasted of the greatest highways known at that time in the known world. It was a highway that had gone through Philadelphia that that was the gateway connecting continents. It was from, if you will, the Western world, Europe, to the Eastern world. So Philadelphia was a very important city. So Jesus identifies himself, Philadelphia, in a way uh, that he doesn't identify himself to any other congregation. Here is a faithful and true congregation to our God. In verse 7, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write He who is holy who is true who has the key of David who opens and no one shut will shut and who shuts and no one opens says this Isaiah please chapter 9 Jesus identifies himself as Yahweh the only holy and true God. Now in the Greek it's theos, but it's the idea Yahweh, the only holy, true God. Jesus says he has the key of David. And the key, of course, implies authority. Jesus has all authority. He is the only possessor of the key of David. He is the only one who can open the door to heaven. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and verse 7. The Bible says to us, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of his peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and And righteousness from then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Isaiah uh, chapter 22 and the verse is 22. The Bible says, then I will set the key of the house of David on his shoulders. He will open and no one will shut. and When he shuts, no one will open. Jesus. Jesus, the son of God who possesses all authority. He said this in John 14 in verse 6. Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father but by me or through me. Please turn to first Peter chapter, chapter one. This congregation, they kept the word of God. Now imagine this. Now this is little Athens by nickname. And yet, even though there were all of these gods, and even though it was a deliberate city in the sense of spreading Greek culture and, and Greek civilization and idolatry, the Church of Philadelphia held true to the word of God. They were patterned in their lives after holiness. So when someone says, "I don't know if I can serve God faithfully and true because of all the things around me," I'd say, "Look at the Church of Philadelphia." Philadelphia, in the midst of all of that idolatry, held themselves true to God and lived in holiness. For that is what God's children do. They understood the message that was taught to us by Jesus, by God the Father, by the apostles, and by the church, to be holy as God is holy. First Peter chapter 1, verse 15. The Bible says, Be like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves and in all your behavior because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And so the holiness of uh, the Church of Philadelphia is recognized by God back to Revelation chapter 3 because you have to love this text because this text is so beautiful uh, as God is saying to them that he has the key to this door right? Verse 7, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? He was holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut and who shuts and no one opens, says this. Now, I, I got to tell you, I don't know exactly. Turn back to Genesis, please, chapter 7. I do not know exactly what the door uh that was closed on them. I don't know what it was. I don't know what was going on uh in in their lives, in that city, in the church. I don't know what was going on where the door had been shut. And God says, I'm going to open the door that has been closed. And I'm going to keep it open. I don't know what that situation involves. But I do know that whatever it was, it was a time of of struggle. And yet the church held fast their holiness to God. And God says, don't worry about it. I have the key. I will open the door and I will close the door, And I think when I look at the scriptures and I look back and I say, where is there a time where mankind maybe tried to open a door that God had closed and they were unable? And I can remember one time, Genesis chapter 7. I can remember in verse 9 where the Bible says, There went into the ark to Noah by twos, males and females, as God had commanded Noah. And then verse 16. The Bible says, And those that entered, male and female, of all, God had commanded them or him, and the Lord closed it behind him. And I can imagine, I can imagine when the rain started, the tragedy of that day, I can imagine, number one, that maybe Noah wanted to open the door, but he could not. For God closed salvation When it was time. And God opened salvation when it was time. And I can imagine that all the people of that day, they were trying to get into this door that had been closed by God. Now that's a tragic scene. But the point that I want you to understand is that God today has granted to us an open door. And some in the world are refusing to come into that door. And one day that door is going to be closed. But right now, the door is open and Satan cannot close it. So we're in a pandemic and it feels troubling and there are struggles that we're going through. John, please, chapter 10. There are struggles that we're going through and and we're wondering, will we ever get through it? Well, God has opened the door, brethren. The door has been opened and it remains open and Satan cannot shut it. But there is coming a day. When the door is going to close. And so, through this lesson, please understand that we must surrender our lives to God while we have opportunity. And so, someone or something closed the door, the church at Ephesus uh, Philadelphia, excuse me, the church of Philadelphia, but God says, I will open the door. John chapter 10. Jesus explained this, this again. He says to them in verse 7: He says, Jesus therefore said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. And this church is what the brethren understood in Philadelphia and believed. You can come to God with anything. God is a way maker. God is a peacemaker. God opened the door for evangelism. God opened the door for their Christian faith and for their lives. God provided, sustained, and kept them. For He has the key. In fact, not only does He have the key to the door, He is the door. You can't stop God's will. Amen. Matthew chapter 7, here's the joy. Jesus is trying to tell us this all throughout the scriptures. God is trying to tell us this over and over and over and over again, that he has everything under control. I mean, the emphasis of having the key and being the door. I mean, that is not a message to us. What else can we get, right? I have the key and I am the door, right? Now, in in Jesus says, verse 7, here's our prayer life, brethren. Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. One who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be open. How many times does God have to say that to us for us to increase our prayer life? Right? I mean, there are closed doors in our lives. There are struggles in our lives. There are temptations in our lives. How often do we pray throughout our day in our lives? Well, God is saying, if you ask, I'll take care of it. If you seek, I've got you covered. If you knock, I'll open the door. He's telling us this over and over and over and over again. How many times do we have to keep trying to resolve our own problems and solve our own problems without going to God in prayer when God says, I am not only the door, I have the key to the door. If the door has been closed, God says, I've got another one open. But we try to resolve our own problems on our own. God calls us to Holiness. He says, I am Yahweh. I am the one who opens this door. So the church of Philadelphia, back to Revelation, please. Chapter 3, and now verse 8. The church of Philadelphia held fast God's word, faithful and true. He says to them, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have little power and... kept my word, and have not denied my name. You have little power. Did You see, no one can keep a door closed that God authorizes to remain open. No one can close a door that God authorizes to remain open. When Satan brings trouble into our lives, it's only going to last for just a season. You See, because God says, here's a door, church, that I have opened for you. Don't worry about it. It's going to be all right. The door is open, the door will remain open, and though you have little power, maybe maybe it's little political power, maybe it's little power in the world, whatever it may be, you have little power, but you realize, it's kind of interesting in, in the Scriptures. Uh, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In the Scriptures, there's this, this irony in life where where the ones who have little power have great power. <laughs> right? When Jesus was on the cross, remember they said to him, save yourself? It wasn't Jesus who needed to be saved. <laughs> you know, it's interesting, right? It's amazing. So the church, when they say, church, you have little power, the reality is that we have tremendous power, right? Because it is through our, the littleness of our power that makes our power great because the greatness of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9, the Bible says, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. From our power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distress, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. The strength, the strength and the power of God is invoked when we come to God in prayer. When we surrender our lives to God, the power of God is manifested in our lives. The power of God is manifested in our lives in the fulfillment of the promises and blessings of God when we bring it to God. So here's a church that uh, struggled and yet they had held fast their holiness, their sanctity. What kind of power did this congregation have? Now God says, I know you have little power. The world is saying you have no power, you have very limited power power. What kind of power does the church have? Brother James brought this out this morning. Look, look at chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Look, if you will, at verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculation And every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now, how many people do you know who can do that without Jesus? Zero, right? To take every thought captive, to bring down fortresses. The power that we have in Jesus is manifested. Through our lives and through the lives of other Christians, the church of Philadelphia remained holy, though they were in a city that was riddled with idolatry. And yet, they remained holy and true to God. Please turn back to Psalm 23. The open door. No door can remain closed that God has authorized to be open. So in our lives, if you remember to pray continuously, constantly continually praying to the father continually praying and asking god for what god has promised to us and that is the victory god will open that door that is closed maybe you have closed doors today in your life if you remember to give it to god and leave it in the hands of god god will work and you will see the power of god manifested in your lives revealed to you and so it seems almost if you will like verse four the bible says even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Now, what I love about Psalm 23 is it's a very living and active psalm, right? It's verse 5, where it says, Thou dost prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou hast anointed my head with evil. My cup overflows. It's almost like Satan is out there. The enemy is there, and they have you surrounded. And there's no way out. And God says, sit down and enjoy your dinner. Because I got everything covered. Right? I mean, in other words, he sets a table, prepares a table in the midst of our enemies. So in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our temptations, in the midst of of our, our difficulties that come our way, remember that God is preparing a table in the presence of our enemies. In other words, we have the victory. And that's what God wants us to remember, to never forget. Back to Revelation, please, chapter 3. This congregation remained faithful, they remained holy, they remained true to God. It's a living example for us to know that, brethren, we do have the power to remain faithful, to remain holy, and to remain true. It is a choice. It is your choice. It is my choice. Satan cannot defeat us. In verse 9, in verse 9, Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them to come and bow down at your feet and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept the word of my presence, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. Turn to Psalm 110 in verse 1. I don't know about you, but when God says there's a testing coming upon the whole world, but I'm going to exempt you from it, I'm going to keep you from that testing, The first thing that comes to my heart is fear. Because I wonder in my heart, regardless of the fact that God says he's going to protect me from it, I wonder what that testing is. (laughs) And I begin to say, Lord, what is it that you're bringing upon the whole world? And God says, don't worry about it. Because I'm going to keep you from it. Why? Because you remained holy. Because you have persevered, because you have endured, I'm going to not only protect you from the hour of testing, I'm going to do as I did, if you will, as the Bible talks about Jesus in prophecy in Psalm 110 and verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. I'm going to make those who call themselves Jews and are not to come and bow down to you. Listen again to verse 10. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. God says, I have you covered. When they understand the love that I have for you, they will come and bow down. Whatever that situation was for the church in Philadelphia, God says, church, you're going to be all right. Stay faithful. Stay true. Stay holy. Church, the same message is to us, right? Turn to Romans, please, chapter 2. The same message is for us that regardless of what's going on around us, this pandemic that we're in, the trouble that we're in, the struggles that we're going through, hold on to God. Keep your holiness, your sanctity. Keep it together. Be godly. Be holy. Be sanctified. Stay true to God through the whole thing all the way until the end. God will continue to bless us. Hold on. Keep trusting. Keep praying. Continue, if you will, to hold on to Elohim, our God. Hold on to Jehovah Shalom. Hold on. Don't let go of God. Hold on. Hold on to Jehovah Jireh. Hold on to God's hand. His unchanging hand. Hold on to Him. Hold on to El Shaddai. Don't let go. Don't let go. Don't let go. God has the victory. We have the victory. We have won. We have overcome and we must continue to overcome. And so in their place and in their, in their city, the city of Philadelphia, there were some Jews who, who were saying they were Jews, God says, but they were not. They are of the synagogue of Satan. Isn't it amazing that a synagogue that, you go back and look at the Babylonian captivity where synagogues kind of originated, comes in the New Testament, and now, now that thing that was a, a substitute for, for the reality, meaning the actual, uh, temple. And, and then later when, when Jesus came along and the apostles came along, they went into the synagogue, how that which is no longer for God has become for Satan. And they have come, these Jews, to, to say, hey, we are, we are the true Israel. But God has been trying to tell the church, if you will, verse 28, that this isn't true. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly. Neither is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. Circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. The church today is, this is Israel. We are the promised people. We are the promised ones. And you go back and you look at the history of Israel. And you watch how God interacted in their lives, taking them into the promised land and rescuing them over and over and over again, and then realizing that we are Israel. God has amazing promises for us today, right? In the church of Philadelphia, because they were holy and they persevered, God reminded them of who they were. You are my people. You are my children. And everyone's going to know how much I love you. Back to Revelation chapter 3. And verse 10, through the things in which they will see. I'm going to read verse 9. It's not on the screen. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them to come and bow down at your feet and to know that I have loved you. They will recognize the love that God has for you. You just watch. You just wait. Now, verse 10, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have in order that no one take your crown. Don't let them take it. Crown that God has given to His royal children. We are a holy race, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, and He has given His holy people a crown. We are royalty. Hold on to your crown. Don't give your crown to Satan. Don't give your crown to the pandemic. Don't give your crown to temptation. Hold on to your crown as God holds on to you. Stay faithful. Stay holy. Stay true. And remain in love. Remain in love. Verse 12. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city, Of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Remember, he says, I know you have little power. And yet, here he says in verse 12, I'm going to make you a pillar. That's a support. That's strong. (laughs) I'm going to make you the strength. The strength of the world. I'm going to make you strong. Because you are strong, I'm going to make you stand. Because you have stood, I'm going to keep you holy because you've chosen to be holy. God makes a promise that is incredible. And He says, I'm going to put on you the name of my God. name of God will be placed upon you. That goes back to what's coming in the future. That seal the seal of the Old Testament, the seal of the New Testament, the seal of the Holy Spirit. I am going to put my name on you because you belong to me. And how important is that name, brethren? Look, if you will, at chapter 20, verse 14 and 15. How important is that name? And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was Not found written in the book of life. It was thrown into the lake of fire. How important is that name? Well, I ask you a question. Do you belong to Jesus Christ? And if you do not belong to Jesus Christ. On the day of judgment. You will not have that name. And if you do not have that name. On the day of judgment. Just like in the days of Noah. Noah. And God closed that door, the door will be closed to you. But thank God that He has given us today an open door. For all of us to surrender to God, if you are already a child of God and you would like to repent and thank God for the open doors, today is a day of salvation. And if you are not a child of God, today is the day to surrender to God in the waters of baptism, having heard His Word and believed it, having godly sorrow in your heart, Finding repentance, that desire to to change your life, to change your way of living. To make the good confession that I believe Jesus is Lord, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Be baptized, immersed in water for the remission of your sins. And walk with Jesus until the end. Remain holy, faithful, and true. The lesson is yours. God bless each and every one of you. Thank you for your time.